So Gene, you were here last week for the Easter Bash. Yes. What did we do at the Easter Bash? We ate. We ate. <laughs> we ate. They colored uh, Easter eggs. They colored Easter eggs. We, well, before we stuffed Easter eggs with candy, so we also then hid. And so then we had we hid the eggs. We had a hunt, right? right? Yes. Excellent. Thank you. Devin, you were here last week. What did we do at the Easter Bash last week? Same stuff he said. Same stuff he said. Ethan, you were here at the Easter Bash last week. What did we do? I, I don't know if Dean said ridges, but we also made crosses. You also made crosses. You also made crosses. Very good. Jonathan, you were here at the Easter Bash. What he said? What he said? Lisa, you were here at the Easter Bash. What did we do at the Easter Bash? We had fun and fellowship. We had fun and fellowship. The, we added a table. We added a table, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, and then, yeah, we, yeah, Mason was here. Yeah, yeah. Mason was here. Um, Y'all know I'm joking. Okay, so for the Easter Bash, the Easter Bash, we just had, what, six different people say what happened to the Easter Bash? Some of those had similarities in their stories. Some of them had differences, had additions and changes. But everybody was at the same event, right? Right? Some things stuck out in our minds for different people, right? Well, that's what happens in Scripture as well. In the New Testament, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Quite frequently, they are in agreement with each other. Quite frequently, something gets added, something may be changed, something may be left out. And sometimes when we look at those differences of what is different in the same story, it can tell us something about the author's point or the author's perspective. And when it comes to the Gospels, we call the authors evangelists because they are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So in, quite frankly, fun for me, we're going to take a look at some of the differences in the story of the empty tomb that the Gospel of Matthew has compared to the other three. We're going to take a look at some of the differences. And by looking at some of the differences, we're going to try and discern what is it that the evangelist Matthew is trying to tell us. What is his particular point and his particular perspective? The reason I had Michael read so much more of the story than is normally read on Easter Sunday is because I wanted us to see a character that is in Matthew that you don't find anywhere else, and that's the soldiers. The soldiers sent to guard the grave is only in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you look at their whole story, quite frankly, the soldiers get a lot of ink time. We've got them before, we've got them there, we've got them after. Why would the evangelists include the soldier's story? Why is that story there? The soldiers represent humankind's attempts to thwart God's purposes and God's power. The soldiers represent those times in our lives when we try to stop what God's doing. We try to get in the way and we try to make it stop. The soldiers represent our attempts to thwart what God's doing in the world and why God's doing it. God's ultimate will cannot be thwarted. 
Now that statement is short, but oh, it's impactful, and let's, let's unpack it. Let's talk about what I just said. Every day, each of us does a pretty good job of thwarting God's will. God tells us to love our neighbor and to love God, and there, we just don't. We don't. When we've got people, unfortunately, placing bombs in houses of worship, that's not love. When we've got people burning churches in Louisiana, that's not love. But quite frankly, we do the same thing. When we pass somebody who's downtrodden and down on their luck and we do nothing, or when we bully somebody else, when we demonize somebody who disagrees with us politically, that's not love of neighbor. So many times in our lives, God says, I want you to love this person. We say, mm, no thanks, not today. That is thwarting God's will because God desires love. But theologians will tell us that there's, there's a piece of, God's will is multifaceted. It's not one finite thing. It's multifaceted. And there's a part of God's will that we call the ultimate will that we cannot stop. God's ultimate will is the love of all people in all places for all time. God's ultimate will is the offer of salvation to all people in all places for all times. God's ultimate desire is for all people to have eternal life with the Creator who loves them more than they can ever possibly imagine. We can reject it. We can say no thanks but we cannot stop God's offer. And God's offer is for all people. So when I say that God's ultimate will cannot be thwarted, we cannot stop God's desire to love all people that much. The soldiers in the story represent the humankind attempt to thwart God's will. And what happens? They pass out and faint. The second piece I want us to look at is, is the angel. The angel in Matthew. All of the four Gospels have a character there at the tomb. Some of the Gospels call the character a man or men dressed in white. Some of the Gospels name that character as an angel. Some Gospels have two, some Gospels have one. In each gospel, this character, this man, this angel has something to say and speaks to the women, says something to the women. Only in Matthew does the angel have actions. And in the gospel of Matthew, the angel is seen descending from heaven, rolling back the stone and then sitting upon it. In the other gospels, when the women arrive at the tomb, the stone's already been moved. Only in Matthew do we have that physical action of the stone rolling away. And here's what's very interesting. I keep calling it an empty tomb story because that's accurate. Because nowhere in scripture does it tell us exactly how Jesus was raised. We don't know. But we do know in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus didn't roll away the stone. Jesus didn't walk out of the tomb. When the stone was rolled away, the tomb was already empty. Jesus was already gone. The angel didn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. The angel rolled away the stone so the women could see in. When the angel rolled away that stone, to me that's almost like unwrapping a gift. That gift of salvation. Here, come look. Come see. This is yours. 
the angel rolled away the stone so we could see. Opening up the stone, what the women saw was the glory of the empty tomb. That's when the soldiers fainted. The women didn't. They saw the glory in the empty tomb. And then when they left, they found the glory of Christ himself. They met Jesus. They met the risen Lord. Out of their obedience, out of their faith, out of their belief, out of their joy, out of their fear, they experienced the resurrected Lord. They experienced their risen Lord. They experienced the risen Jesus. The angel represents for us that opening, that opening of that gift of salvation, that revealing of the empty tomb, the revealing of Jesus raised, the revealing of God's love. There's one more piece. Well, there's, there's a few other differences in the Gospel of Matthew, but there's one more I want to talk about, and that's the earthquake. The earthquake is only in Matthew. It says in the Scripture, the earthquake for the angel descended, rolled away the stone, and sat upon it. It's very clearly linked, the angel and the earthquake. And yet, in so many places in Scripture, we have angels. We have angels talking, we have angels descending, we have angels appearing. But this is the only place in all of Scripture that when the angel shows up, the earth quakes. Why would that be? Why is it this time there's an earthquake? Yes, the angel descended, the earth reacted. The earth reacted to God's power and the message of the Lord and reacted. But if you will allow me, I want to add my own take on it. Now, I am not quoting a commentator. I'm not quoting a theologian. I'm quoting a scholar. I'm quoting what Katie Shockley thinks the earth was doing. So take that for what it's worth. You can take that for what it's worth. But here's what I think. I think the earth quaked out of joy and celebration. I think the earth knew what was happening and celebrated. In the gospel according, in, in the um, letter to the Romans written by Paul, in the letter to the Romans written by Paul, Paul says that all of creation is waiting with anticipation for redemption. It says that the cosmos is groaning, groaning for that moment to happen. It says cosmos. It doesn't say earth. It says the whole universe is anticipating this redemption, this do-over. We talk about the new heaven and the new earth. It's new everything. New everything of redemption. We're not talking about just the redemption of humankind. We're talking about the redemption of everything God has created and is creating. So why wouldn't the earth celebrate? It's now. It's happening now. Here comes the redemption. Here comes Jesus. The earth knew. And the earth quaked. But that was not the first earthquake that happened that weekend. So when Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last upon the cross, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. 
The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After Jesus' resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, Truly, this man was God's son. The earth quaked. The bones rattled. The bodies were raised when Jesus died upon the cross. First the earthquake when Jesus died, and then the earthquake when the empty tomb was revealed. I see that as the earth was so excited, all of creation was so excited that redemption was now at hand. What else is the earth going to do? But quake. Matthew is the only gospel that has the soldiers and the only gospel that has the earthquake. Matthew is the only gospel where the angel actually does something and rolls away the stone. Why would this evangelist point out these three things? I think Matthew's point is this. There is no naturalistic way to explain the resurrection. The resurrection is all about God, God's capabilities and God's determination. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to stop God when God is determined. There's nothing we can say. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing you have said or have done or anything you're going to do or going to say that's going to make God stop loving you. It's not possible. There's absolutely nothing we can do to make God stop loving us through Jesus Christ. It won't happen. We can put a soldier in front of it. We can put a big stone in front of it. Even the earth itself cannot stop when God is determined. Jesus is risen because God loves you. Jesus is risen because God loves all people for all time in all places. Jesus is risen because God loves all of creation. Jesus is risen because God is wholly capable, wholly powerful. Jesus is risen because God wins. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.